Hey everybody, it's Ryan here. Just before the podcast gets started, I just want to say thanks to some special listeners who went over to iTunes and gave us a review. We have Carla, who said, have some fun and get some insight talking TV with Ryan and Jules. And we have Sookie Fan, who gave us a five-star review and says, entertaining and fun, keep it up. So to Carla and Sookie Fan, thank you so much for doing that. If you'd like your review read on the air, please go over to iTunes, give us a review, say some nice things. That's going to help promote the podcast and get us moved up in the rankings. Thanks, everybody. Here comes the podcast. Creeping from the darkest bowels of iTunes comes a show so sycophantic. It needs to rate itself five stars to be loved. This is TV Chinwag. Here's Ryan and Jules. Jules, are you ready? Yes. Well, we, we already started. Have we? People yeah, this li- is a, we're people, in the podcast right now. Are people listening? Yeah, they're hearing us. They're hearing us talking right now. Shit. Um, hey. Before we get, I, I don't, I'm going to interrupt you right there because I know what you're going to say. But they don't. You're going to say, welcome to another episode of TV Chinwag. Maybe. Right. And then I was going to say, my name is Ryan. And I was going to say, my name is Jules. And here we are in episode four. We got a really exciting episode today because we're going to talk about two shows that are fairly similar in their sort of feel and their tempo, I think. Um, And also fairly similar in that they've really been off the radar of a lot of television fans. One of them in particular. The other one has only been cancelled twice and come back. (laughs) We're going to be talking about The Killing and we're going to be talking about uh, a television show called The Red Road, which is on the Sundance channel. Um, both of them are similar parallels, and I, both of them, I think, will be... Uh, uh, I, I, I'm interested to know what you think of them. But before we do that, Jules... What's what news have, in uh, television? What's new in television? Not a lot, actually. Um, no. <laughs> where, despite, uh, as I keep banging on about all the changes in broadcasting, we still do sort of get tied to the seasons of, of television and we're in the sort of dead zone at the moment before the summer summer shows come on and uh, various mini-series and other things. Sharknado 2, of course, coming up, uh, which most people will be very excited for. I know I am. Uh, so I've actually got a bit of crossover news. So this is, and it ties into what we're going to be talking about today. So Ryan, you, of course, I'm sure as a, a good fanboy, have been filled with excitement over all the news about Batman versus Superman, the dawn of justice. Is that what it's called? The dawn of justice? Yes. Yes. Holy shit. This is going to be the biggest flop in the history of movies, isn't it? I mean, one, do you one, feel that coming? Well, look, you know, it started with the, the news of Ben Affleck as Batman and things have really sort of gone downhill from there. Um, the whole Batman versus Superman thing. Uh, and they seem to be uh, shoehorning in, you know, a number of... Uh, other Wonder Woman apparently gets an appearance, which is yay. 
That's um, cool. I, I would I would like to see a Wonder Woman movie. Why can't we just do that? Well, exactly. You would think, perhaps. Uh, I do believe that, um, you know, there are a number of uh, other superheroes we could have, but no, let's smush up Batman and Superman. However, an interesting bit of casting announced overnight was that uh, Jason Momoa, who people will know from a couple of things. Hardcore fans will know from Stargate Atlantis, where he mm-hmm. played... Uh, replete with gorgeous long dreadlocks, he played a character called Ronan Dex, um, who was from the Pegasus Gallery Galaxy. It's a long story. Um, and more recently, of course, he gained fame on Game of Thrones dun, 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 as Carl <laughs> Drogo, uh, the Dothraki leader who um, Daenerys Targaryen got married to uh, until he died, as all good characters on Game of Thrones do. So Jason has been cast as Aquaman because... When you think, gee, let's have a Superman-Batman movie with Wonder Woman in it, let's get Aquaman in there too. I don't even know what to say. Wow. Um... (laughs) Other than I'm sure, look, there'll be a lot of people out there, uh, and I have seen a lot of talk on Twitter, the thought of, you know, Jason basically with a few uh, spangly scales on his dangly bits being Aquaman pleases a lot of people. So he will be naked and wet, uh, which could be the saving grace of the movie. Oh, I don't think so. (laughs) I I don't think anything is going to save this movie at this point. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Jason Momoa a lot. I think he's – well, I'll get into that. But, uh, I mean – to me, this just seems like a... a first of all, Vinny Chase is supposed to be Aquaman. Okay. Anybody yes, who's seen yes, Entourage yes, knows that Vinny Chase is supposed to star as Aquaman. So, uh, and and James Cameron should be doing it. If you haven't seen um, Entourage, that's one of the the best through stories it has in it is about the filming of an Aquaman movie. Um, and, they, yes, Vinny Chase would have been amazing. Yes, if he was a real person. Yes. Um, I don't know. I don't know about the stools. I, I can't imagine that this turns out good. I, I can't imagine that I'm sitting in a theater and I'm seeing Spider-Man, or, sorry, Batman. Oh, Spider-Man could turn up. You never know. Absolutely he could. That oh, would wrong, be the wrong. after credits. He's Marvel, though, isn't he? Yeah. Um, I, I just, I, I'm just not seeing that this could... Have they announced a director or a writer? <laughs> uh, yes, apparently. Yeah, Zack Snyder is, is directing. Oh, well, there you go. This is not going to be good. I can tell you this already. Done. Not even going to buy a ticket. <laughs> so Zack, of course, did Man of Steel, for what that's worth, uh, and uh, he's got Legends, uh, Legend of the Guardians. Was he doing that? No. Guardians of the Galaxy. No, he's not doing that. That's someone else. Um, anyway, Zack have you, Snyder. Have you seen that, that Tumblr photo that goes around talking about um, that the Guardians franchise is the most confusing franchise ever? No. Because you have the uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, and then you have The Guardian, which was a movie, and then you have the Owl, the Guardians of Kahul, the Owls movie, and then you have all these other Guardian movies. <laughs> I'll post it on our Tumblr if people go to tvchinwag.com. It's very funny. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but the, get this, the guy who's writing the screenplay for this um, hot mess of a movie 
is the guy who wrote the screenplay for Argo, which he won an Academy Award for. So Ben Affleck. Oh no, it wasn't Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck <laughs> directed that, didn't he? Yeah. So we got a, yes. got a bit of the old boys club happening here. But seriously, how do you go from writing an Academy Award winning screenplay yeah. for Argo? To doing Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. I oh, mean, how you get there? It's called millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you get there. Direct route. You just say, "Oh, how's forty million sound? Pretty damn good." Let's get started. They don't pay writers, do they? They do. I thought they just paid them in like candy and and action figures. And or ironically, the shittier the movie, the more paid they get. <laughs> you know, we talked about Mad Max uh, last week briefly. Um, a friend of mine actually did some writing on the remake movie, mm-hmm. and he he was a like a punch up guy. He did some writing, uncredited writing, uh, and he said it's such a bizarre place to be sitting where you're writing this dialogue and it literally goes to set and people are saying it and they're changing it on the fly and, oh, and remixing it. And I can only imagine a movie like this, Batman <gasps> and Superman, is just going to be. Day after day of changes and rewrites, and every producer in Hollywood's going to want to have their fingerprints on it and changing things. And what if uh, Superman um, smiled all the time? You know, just these stupid <laughs> producer notes that every shitty movie is absolutely filled to the brim with. I can I can see it coming down the pike already. God, I'm, I know I sound really negative, but yes, a little bit. Thank you. But here's here's a positive. Here would be a, this is what I would love to see. A Superman movie set in the 1940s, made today. Look, there is, you know, I think any Superman fan would, or Batman fan, I mean, although I think Batman needs to probably go and have a, the franchise needs to go and have a lie down and a rest for a while. But, um, you know, certainly with Superman, there's so much um, potential and certainly going back to the real roots of the, um, you know, of where the story started and why it started, I think uh, I think you're spot on. Uh, that would be that would be fantastic. But no, we're going to have a lot of Michael Bay esque type. Um, let's have you know more cities blown up and destroyed and and, and, and you that... know what it means nothing. It means nothing when you see that. Uh, it doesn't impress anyone anymore, does it? Well, no, and I think that's one thing and, and why the, the Marvel franchise has, has probably been going so well is at the movies is that they have realised that you actually need to anchor these movies with characters people like and characters that actually have some, you know, they don't have to have a huge amount of depth, but they actually need to make some sense. And I think, Has anyone told Michael Bay? I, uh, look, I think Michael Bay is rolling around naked in his piles of money and doesn't really care because he gets to make Transformer movies and that keeps him happy. Like he's not he's not able to hear it for all the dollar bills shoved in his ears? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> well, that's okay. Good for him. And, and look, there are a lot of people out there who are more than, more than happy to pay their money to go and see those movies. And I see yeah. a lot of them. But I, I have to say, as someone who used to, you know, 15 years ago, I was like, oh, where are all the movies with shit blowing up? And now I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Can yeah. I have can I have something with a story? Right. Yeah. Uh, it does get to be you get desensitized and the, and and what was amazing and and I'd be interested in your perspective you know, from the VFX point of view, Ryan. There there was a time when it was exciting to see what you could produce on screen. I mean, you know, oh, we... Jurassic Park. I just came across a posting on a VFX forum 
for the making of Jurassic Park and doing the visual effects and using some uh, maquettes and some puppets and some suits and miniatures and stop motion and the visual effects. I mean, that movie was, what, 1993? Yeah. And and it absolutely stands up to this day. The visual effects. I mean, that T-Rex is is cinema history. It's, It's amazing. And that was just done by some very smart people who are very dedicated to what they're doing and not scores of people given tiny little bits to work on. And I, I think that's where the difference comes from. You know, you have people who are passionate about their job, who have creative control to do these things, and then you have an assembly line of people who are doing the minutia, the little stuff, and then you piece it all together. Um, you, it, uh, to contradict myself, Gravity <laughs> was a prime example of a, a thousand or a million pieces of... Uh, debris on screen at once that was absolutely breathtaking Mm. i just saw the trailer for the new transformers and there was 10 times more stuff on screen and i had absolutely no interest yeah it's interesting i heard a um an interview with gareth edwards who did godzilla and um and he is someone who is you know he's very thoughtful and and one of i think the standouts uh in the godzilla movie was the little detail that went into some of those big epic scenes that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he he thinks through and that. And he was actually pleased um, that, and I'm not going to remember that off, off the top of my head, but that I think there was, he, he, he came up with a number and say it was a thousand VFX shots in the movie. And he was pleased it was less than he, you know, they'd originally thought it was going to be because, you know, he... He, that was not what the movie was about for him. They had to be there to tell the story, and 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 certainly, if you've seen, uh, for those people who've seen Godzilla, they actually cut away from a number of the big fight scenes. There's a huge scene in Las Vegas, and apparently mm-hmm. that was a lot longer and was going to be a big set piece. And he's like, "Well, no. If you do this five times during the movie, by the time we get to the climax, no one cares anymore. That That's right. Smashing up San Francisco. So in Las Vegas, they go to the, uh, you know, the the monsters are going to be sm- stomping all over Las Vegas, and then it cuts away at the the moment you want to see to a news report about it, so that it 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 sets this up again and again. And yeah. there was very clever, some... clever use. And there were some wonderful set moments that yeah. are huge, but they were quieter moments, like with the um, parachutists coming down in Hawaii from the, you know, through yeah. the, the clouds as past Godzilla. They're not big mashman, you know, moments just for the sake of it. No, absolutely. I mean, one of my most favourite scenes of that movie was... Um, the the hero, the young guy, whatever his name is, is with the little Asian kid on the subway, on the train, and you see the monsters in the background, out the window, fighting, illuminated by the explosions or whatever. Yeah. The, the danger is there. You're, you're, you're from the point of view of a spectator to see this on a, a bigger scale. That, to me, spoke volumes as to the size of the problem. Yes. Um... Seeing a transformer smashing through twelve buildings in a single row means nothing to me. I can't relate to that. I don't have any visual um, measure of what that would be like or or happen. So it's uh, it's it's that Gareth Edwards and I. I mean, we could do a whole show on this, but the way that he shoots from a myopic 
point of view yes. of a person is what really makes it makes this stuff cool. And I wish we could have seen more of it because I kind of have a feeling in my heart that if he had his druthers, it would have been shot a lot more from, from a point of view. Yes. Uh, but I think Hollywood, like we talked about producers getting their fingerprints in there, mucked that up and wanted the big battle scenes and and the father, the romantic, all that other stuff that sort of went along with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we should get back to television because <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the name of the podcast. We might have to do a uh, spin-off podcast called uh, right. Movie, Movie Chinwag. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting because, I mean, it does tie back and we're going to talk this week about um, a couple of shows that, uh, in fact, one of which you worked on VFX on. So that will be yes. uh, an interesting insight. But you had some, uh, before we finish on TV news, somehow we got from naked Jason Momoa to Godzilla. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, some people I don't be... want to know the Freudian reason why you went from one to another. <laughs> but any therapists out there listening, please send us your number. Um, what news have you got for us, Ryan? Um, this is a... Casting, again, uh, Michelle Forbes, who stars in one of the shows that we're going to be talking about as well today, was just cast in Annie's Network's uh, The Returned, which some people might be aware of is is actually a remake of a French drama called Le Riviance. Is that right? Le, Le Riviance? You're, Can- you you're, you're Canadian. You should be able to say it. Le um, Riviance? <laughs> yes. Now, this will get confusing. There's been a show on one of the big networks called Resurrection, and the concept is similar to that, although they interestingly both come from different source material so the french uh show the returned uh for those of us who don't aren't bilingual um was on last beginning of last year on french television and it was eight episodes and it's what i call it falls into that mysterious event trope so mysterious event happens that affects a whole lot of people and you know We've seen this from, you know, Lost, the 4400, uh, a whole lot of shows that have been cancelled in the last few years when people try and do this. Um, The idea is that people suddenly turn up in this French village uh, who have been dead. So uh, dead from a number of years in the past. So there's um, people who died 30 years ago and people who died 10 years ago. And they just turn up again. Exactly, looking exactly the same as they did the day before they died, oh. uh, with no explanation. And the fascinating thing about the French show, in contrast to a lot of the shows like this, is that it's not focused on why are they back, what happened to them, are they zombies, blah, blah, blah. It focuses on the emotional impact. And really, aside from the fact that obviously some mysterious event brought them back, it's really looking at... What happens when someone from your past reappears in your life? What happens when that ex, you run into your ex or you run into that person you used to work with who bullied you? Or So there's, you know, there's a guy who comes back to find that the woman he was about to marry has remarried and had a child uh, or had his child uh, who's been raised by this other guy. There's a, a girl who comes back and she's a twin. So she comes back to her family and her twin, of course, is now 10 years older. Um, And there's all these stories about people returning and that's what the heart of the the series is. It's also at the same time, 
incredibly creepy because little things keep popping up and happening. The stories of these people from the past, you start to see where they intersect. It's really fascinating. Um, and by the end of it, 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 and there will be a second season, uh, you're starting to get an idea of what happened in the past that may have caused these people to come back. But you really don't know, and it's not the point of, of this episode, of the series. So, of course, I'll be really interested to see how well the American remake fucks it up. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled that Michelle Forbes is in it because I, I, I really like Michelle Forbes. Um, and, you know, she's been in... A lot of a lot of things. Um, mm -hmm. She has. She was recently in um, um, uh, Orphan Black. Yes, she turned up in Orphan Black. Um, she's actually in the new, uh, the next Hunger Games movie. She was in a se series, which I don't know if you've watched a Canadian series called Durham County. I never did. No. Falls into the genre of shows we'll we'll be talking about of that sort of dark noirish. Um, depressing life <laughs> shows um, I think that was filmed in East Canada or set in East Canada somewhere and she was a, a recurring character in um, in that but um, yeah she's always always fascinating to watch so this is an A&E show also starring uh, Jeremy Sisto oh, um, yes. Mary Elizabeth Weinstead and uh, Mark Pellegrino lovely as well as uh, Kevin Alejandro Oh, wonderful! So it's got a mm -hmm. really good, um, really good lineup. So Kevin Alondro last seen in Southland, and also in oh, I want to say something else which I've immediately forgotten. But yeah, that's a really good, really good lineup of people. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, Arrow was Kevin Alondro in Arrow. Might have been. I don't have him up here. Yeah, um, could have been. Anyway, I will certainly be looking. Yes, he was. He was in. Um, he was Sebastian Blood in Arrow, ah. uh, and he was also in um, was he in True Blood. Yes. Anyway, wonderful actor. Um, so that'll yeah. be worth watching out for. Uh, let's let's just hold on to the the hope that it will be good. I know one of the writers on it is Rael Tucker, uh, who started with Supernatural and then moved on to True Blood. Um, so I I, I think she, that gives me some hope. Uh, and she's <laughs> working with um, Carlton Cruz from Cruz from um, of course from Lost and Bates Motel. So there's right. some good talent associated. I will just be again. It's always interesting when. Um, overseas productions get um, remade in the remade, US. Yeah. And, in fact, that's the first show we're going to talk about, Started Life in Another Country. I'm looking for Rosie Larson. Why she lie to us? Where has she been? The cops are looking for her. She'll be in serious trouble. The police are here. Is it my daughter? I'm sorry. How about telling me the truth? He's a suspect. Where's Rosie? The Killing, coming in March. Go to amctv.com to learn more. The Killing, which was uh, actually a Danish-born TV show, which I'm going to screw up the name, but I'm pretty sure it was... Uh, I can't pronounce it. I don't speak Dutch. Uh, <laughs> it was for, for Bresland, I believe it was. Uh, literally translated meaning the crime. Um both shows center around the same plot, but we're going to talk about the U.S. one because I haven't seen the Danish version. Have you? I watched the first season of it. Um, it okay. was huge, just, I suppose, to set the scene. 
it was really huge in in Europe and and in the U UK um, that series, and it really um, in, not that it's the first time this has happened, obviously, but we have seen over the last couple of years more uh, non English speaking uh, show, TV shows from non English speaking countries. Of course, uh, US has often picked up shows from the UK, but things like this also, um, The Bridge, which got remade both as an a UK series and a US series. Um, Homeland, of course, started as an Israeli series. Mm. Um, so it's really interesting that, um, you know, the US networks have gone uh, further afield for inspiration and finally recognising, of course, that there is uh, a lot of wonderful uh, TV made in languages that aren't English. But to the and all, all of those <laughs> all of those shows that you mentioned are, are extraordinary. Um, they all have a very, um, I want to say, dour sort of feel to them. They're, nothing about them is rah, rah, hooray, we're winning. It, it almost comes from an underdog sort of point of view where uh, it's, it's hard to either make the right decisions or it's hard to get the truth out of a situation. Yes, um, Not in a 24 style, but more in a, it, it, there's so many shades of gray style, in my opinion. Um the Killing, uh, I actually worked on, the, I was lucky enough to work on the first season, uh, visual effects department. I, I, it, was, uh, it was sweet because um, the company that I worked for did the visual effects for the pilot. And that it sort of was actually before I had started there. But I had seen some, some scenes that they shot for the pilot. And I thought, God, this looks beautiful. Like... The framing and and the color and the contrast and the gritty graininess of the whole thing. Um, the show revolves around a young girl who's killed, and her name is Rosie Larson. And the whole premise of the show is her family coping with that death, uh, and a pair of detectives that are investigating the death of this young girl, Rosie Larson. The two detectives uh, are are played by uh, I always get her name wrong, Muriel. Enos mm -hmm. and Joel Kinnaman, who play uh, Lyndon uh, and uh, Holder. Uh, I mean, you could just do a whole show just on those two characters. She is fighting to keep her son, and she's actually in the process of moving to a different town when it starts, and she catches this case and becomes obsessed with the murder of this little girl. Um, Kinnaman is an ex-narco cop who we... You don't know as an audience if he still has a drug problem. If he doesn't, he plays a bizarre character, something very unique. Nothing nothing like a character that I've seen before on television. I mean, he's done an amazing job with it. And I don't know how much of that was written or how much that's actually Joel Kinnaman bringing to that role. But it was very strange, a very unique uh, point of view or, or, or character, rather, that he played. Yeah, um, oh, it was interesting. I read, um, so in the first season, as you said, he's um, there's a lot of um, ambiguity about the character's motivations and um, real agenda as he's brought onto this case. And, and Joel Kinnaman talked about how that made it very difficult for him to, you know, to, to play the character because it, there was stuff he didn't know and also um, stuff that, you know, the audience 
was not meant to know whether he was whose side he was on and uh, who he might be working for or against. Uh, but he inhabits uh, Holder, uh, who's got this twitchy, uh, you know, almost sort of. You know, you could quite easily believe he was still a junkie. Um, you know, he looks like a, you know, long, wet string of pelican shit, really. He's, <laughs> you know, he looks like he hasn't had a decent meal for a while. Uh, you can smell the cigarette smoke on him. You can, but at the, the same time, he's, he's a very, uh, he's a likable character as well. But you feel... You never feel like he's telling you the truth. No, the whole truth. so you sort of, you, you, it is like, well, my favourite saying is like, it's like sand in your underpants. You sort of, you, it, it just grits against you at certain times because you're like, you think, you know, he's charming and he's really nice with um, Sarah Linden, his partner's child. At the same time, you're thinking, I don't think you should be leaving him alone with that child. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, yes, yes. And, uh, uh Muriel, and these he, are the heroes of the of the story, by the way. These yeah. are the heroes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and and she, of course, uh, is, um, and both of them reflect. You know, it's interesting. You started off talking about the look of the show, so it's um, it's set in Seattle, and you know, it's got this. You know, the the look of the show reflects the mood of the show and the mood of the characters, and vice versa. So, it it, it is a muted colours and greys and wet and that's what the feeling you get from all these characters too um, and that you never know when there are these moments of, you know, when it stops raining and the sun breaks through the clouds, um, one of those being the fact that uh, Sarah Linden wears these amazing hand-knitted jumpers all the time and, um, you know, that and her character wears those, um, you know, throughout the throughout the uh, series with no commentary on why she wears them all the time. Yeah. And it's it sort of, again, it's not your t typical detective wear. Um, but together, watching their relationship develop as they suss each other out, I mean, she's obviously an extremely uh, well-regarded, competent detective, although there's you get start to get hints that there's been issues in the past when she's become... Uh, again, obsessed with cases, um, and, and that's that's a familiar trope to people who read or watch, you know, detective shows. Is the, you know, the obsessive detective who, uh, you know, takes on the darkness of the cases that they're looking at. Um, however, what you don't, you rarely see it, is as a woman who's a single mother, and so you know she's continually having to worry about. You know, who's looking after the kid, um, and yeah. and so that brings another layer into it, um, which which uh, becomes part of the main story as time goes on. But yeah, she can't just go off and become obsessed and uh, worry about the case twenty four seven because she does actually have a child who, you know, has to go to school and has to be fed. Yeah. And, um, is I, um is is she a strong female character? What do you mean? Uh, <laughs> you always hear, hear people talking about like there aren't enough shows with a strong female lead. I don't like the word strong because I think yeah. that I, I think what I what I would say and what I want is I want well written diverse female characters, and I think she is. And she's definitely that. she's definitely that. Whether she's whether I don't know what you know because strong I think sometimes means people want them to Did be she? kicking ass and taking names. She she is flawed. She's 
you know, she's a crappy mother. Um, <laughs> she's, although she's someone doing her best and you start to get hints of what her own childhood was like. Uh, she was in foster care. You, you start to see what moulded her into the person she is, what has formed her to be a fantastic detective, but what also makes her, you know, a crappy lover and a crappy mother. <laughs> and that's fascinating because she's not... Um, She's not a black and white character. She's not a, a hero. She's not an anti-hero. She's a person who's driven, uh, you know, to solve this crime. Uh, as you said, she's on the, the beginning of the series. She's at the cusp of, of really putting all this behind her, moving south, um, and and she has a uh, – she's going to get married, and that all starts to get put on the back burner as she gets drawn into solving this case. And then she's, of <laughs> course, uh, hook, hooked up uh, with a, this new partner who's got a shady past as well, again, who seems to be a very good detective, very different than her. They both deal with people in different ways. Um, but watching how their relationship develops, how they get to know each other, um, which happens very slowly, and the trust uh, that happens and is then pulled apart as the series goes on is is you know as you said I wouldn't it's almost doesn't matter what else is going on that is just worth watching in itself. Yeah, yeah. The um, it, it filmed in Vancouver, obviously uh, you can tell by the rain. Um, <laughs> but to be fair, they added a lot of rain. I mean, the first season it rains in every scene, yeah. and that. I mean, we haven't even talked about the other side of the show, which is this rain is the impending, well, fear for the most part of the girl being missing uh, and her family doesn't know that she's been murdered yet. The Larson family, Rosie Larson is the girl that was killed. And then their absolute um, devastation when they find out the death of their, of their young daughter, their teenage daughter. Uh, the rain plays an important mm. part of that to just show how oppressed they feel and how held down and how um, obliterated their family is uh, with this news. Michelle Forbes plays a role that I don't think many actresses could pull off. She breaks your heart yep. in every scene, every goddamn scene. How she didn't win an Emmy for this performance, I think, is an absolute tragedy because she put it out there. Yeah. 100%, 110%, whatever the number is, it <laughs> breaks your goddamn heart yeah. every goddamn I, time. I, I think the first season was an extraordinary um, examination and reflection about grief. And the side of, you know, we're saturated with shows about serial killers and murderers and we so rarely get to see more than a glimpse of the impact that has you know we usually get to see a, a family being told their child's been killed you might get to see a bit of the invest them in the investigation but to look at the impact of how that grief how it and again the day-to-day -day of who's looking after the kids mm -hmm. when the parents have just right. had their heart rips out ripped right. out what impact does it have on her siblings um, right. who still have to turn up to school um right. those and what people are saying at school and and that sort of thing and then how the mother and father's relationship gets you know to the breaking point and then the mother and, and her own sister the aunt and yes. how that relationship and then i mean it's god it is dark <laughs> it is dark <laughs> and, and i would say this i mean i think 
you know, our, our societies generally are pretty crap at dealing with, still about dealing with death and grief, and it is something we rarely see portrayed on television in the fact that it doesn't stop when the funeral's over. So uh, right. the fact that this continues to go on, you know, how, how do you deal when, you know, you've had this, your child killed, um, and there's, you know, there's no resolution, uh, the, the investigation's ongoing, the investigation takes twists and turns, um, and some really big twists and turns. Uh, but how does that impact the family who are in the news all the time, as you said, who've got to deal with, you know, family and friends and schoolmates and all that talking about it? It's just... Um, and how they're not happy with what the police are doing and the progress that the police are making and think that they should take start doing things on their own and then the police have evidence and they don't know if they should share with the family. And <laughs> I mean, it plays out beautifully. Yes, um, and and really traumatically too. And it's so, uh, and the rain again, and the and the visual style of it, it makes it all so claustrophobic. You know, there is no escape from this. These people can't have a weekend off from having their child killed. The police can't have a weekend off from, you know, looking for the killer. And the ripple effects as the investigation goes out, and I think that again is you know, another aspect of the show which really hooked people in was how these things can start to have, you know, collateral effects on people who really are quite removed in some ways from the murder, but it's, it starts impacting on their life because they become caught up in an investigation or something and um, in some quite tragic ways. Um. I don't want to put any spoilers out there. For anyone who hasn't seen it, it's on Netflix, I believe, in Canada and the U.S. You should be able to watch the first three seasons. Good news is it's coming back for a fourth season uh, on Netflix. The bad news is it's only a six-episode season. Um, it changes in the... I felt like it changed in the second season. Jules, did you feel that as well? It yeah. sort of went in a different direction. Look, it, and it, we should say just... The reception to the first season was really positive. Critics were creaming themselves over it. Um, it. It got lots of, probably not lots of audience, but it did get a lot of critical acclaim. Now, the whole setup had been who killed Rosie Larson. So um, one one thing, it got to the end of the first season, and particularly with the finale, there was mm. outrage. I mean, you, pe you think people didn't like the final episode of Lost? The final episode of season one of The Killing literally had, uh, you know, I saw some of the biggest toddler-type tantrums from TV critics I have ever seen um, because we didn't find out who killed Rosie Larson at the end of the first season. And, wow, uh, spoiler. Yeah, spoiler. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, it, when that script came out, it was very... Um... Uh, it, well, it didn't come out, essentially. It was a need-to-know basis. So right. I, I, we didn't even see the script. But I was enjoying the show while it was airing, while we were working on it. Yeah. There was very few visual effects in The Killing. Uh, you know, we only did a, a handful of things. Um, and I was on set for very few of them. I think the, the one of the bigger ones we did was um, when Lyndon is in the hotel room. Yes, yeah. That's under construction, I think. Was that in the first season or second? Oh, no, it's the second. That's the second, yeah. And we did the backdrop of, of the city of, you know, it was all green screen yeah. stuff that we did. But that was like one of the only few wow. major shots that we did. A lot of stuff was adding rain. Um, 
Now, you, when you were in town, you and I got a chance to go by the studio where they film it. Yes, yes. So you saw the police station door that they come out of, yep. which was just some random door in a building. <laughs> um, and did you see the Larson's front door? Yes, yes. Was it still there? I couldn't remember if it yeah, was still there yeah. or not when we went. Yes. Um, which was essentially on a loading bay, yeah. literally a loading bay, and they just made it look like a front door. Well, we had to do the reverses of that. So when somebody would chop the door and they would open it, we would have to put the street oh, that's okay. supposed to be there yep. out be- behind them sometimes. So th- there wasn't a ton of visual effect shots, um, but we did a few of them. Adding rain was a big one, obviously. <laughs> just filling in some spots or you know, just getting it right was yeah. uh, pretty huge. Um, Sorry, I'm, I'm getting a sidetrack. No, no, um, no. It's you were talking a... about the first and the second. Um, well, yeah, I, I'd be interested as, as a from your point of view. The first was, and we've talked a bit about, tone and mood in this show um and, and it's not it, it's become quite a um is the word style it's in fashion at the moment in tv shows this sort of quite dour um muted uh tone in both look and, and feel of the show even true detective uh you know which everyone was um thoroughly enjoyed recently was was very similar in, in that and the word noir gets thrown around a lot when people talk about these in terms of that mood but the killing is one of the few shows that really took noir into its narrative structure as well and so in in terms of cinema noir storytelling is always about twists and turns and pe- peeling back layers so that you start thinking this is where the story is going and then that turns out actually to be a red herring and 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 you take a right a hard right turn your the audience is always uncomfortable because you, the show is always a step ahead of you or the the story always has those twists and turns so that when you think you're you know on the right path and i think that's what through a lot of people because we haven't seen a lot of that on television and people get as you're meant to be discomforted by it and people don't like that as a viewer so that when there were a number of uh, suspects set up in the first season of the killing who turn out not to be the killer um and people felt ripped off and felt like that was um playing with them too obviously um whereas you know the intent is of course to portray the complexity and and the fact that you you know the cops are only working with the information they've got and sometimes that information puts them in the wrong direction um so i i think at the end of the season people looked back and felt that they hadn't had a satisfactory resolution and so there was a lot of very negative talk about it. And I, I don't know how much that influenced the writing that then went into the second season, which changed. Certainly the mood was, there was less rain <laughs> in the second season. Um, and, and it was almost a bit more of a straight detective story in uncovering things. Yeah, I think we kind of got away from the Larsons a little bit more in the second season. Um a little bit further out of their grief. So the rain was signifying their grief and they were sort of less grieving and more angry. Uh, so we sort of got away from a little bit of that. Um, you know, it's... Uh, I, I like the second season, actually. I liked it quite a bit. 
I, I like what they did as far as expanding the story, but there was certain parts of it that seemed divisive, that seemed like writer's tropes to try and stretch it out, stretch out the the mystery a little bit more and cause a little bit of, um, you know, um, what is that called when you you hint at something that's not actually there or, you know, start a wild goose chase sort yes, of thing. Yes, yes. Um, so in that regard, it was, I, I thought there was a little bit of that, but overall, I, I mean, the acting was great. The writing was great. The directing was amazing. And I, I, I still really quite enjoyed this, the second season. Yeah, look, uh, I... Uh, and, and people who are watching it for the first time after hearing this review and deciding to go and see it, you won't have any problem with that crossover from two to th- uh, from one to two because you have no time to wait. Yes, but it was the people who had to wait for another six months to see what happened at the end of one. Yes, uh, and interesting how just again from the the bigger perspective, it was really interesting to see how once the, the TV critics had turned on it, th- there was almost no redemption for it in in their eyes. I'm saying. Um, I, I found that very interesting that very few of them uh, returned to give the, the second season a go. Um, whereas, of, you know, for me, one of the, the things that really develops in the second season, again, it, it too is, as you say, certainly the Larson family become more, they're angrier and they become more active in the plot in a way, which I think they had to. Um, but also the the relationship between you know Lyndon and Holder develops uh, even further in a way that again look you know I would watch either of those actors do do just about anything and and together they just you know there were moments of them just sitting in a car talking or smoking or trying not to smoke um, mm-hmm. that were just you know they were wonderful character moments and and they were I just wanted to know more about these people and. I wanted to slap them around a lot of the time, but they were just, I was, yeah, I was so drawn into them. The son, uh, Lyndon's son, Jack, uh, Jack, yes, plays a, a, a larger role in the in the second season as well, and his relationship with Holder, I thought, was, um, you know, again, is fascinating. And, um, and he's, again, he's a single father who is separated from his partner and child. And, you know, there's just such another level that you so rarely see in the, the sort of detective drama of these characters as people, not just as detectives. Um, so that was, yeah, I found it really satisfying. And then it got to the end of the season and they cancelled it. Uh, they cancelled it at the end of the second season. Yes. <laughs> well, then how did we get here where we're going to a fourth season, Jules? I don't know. Television's amazing. So, yes, AMC cancelled it. Uh, I, uh, I can't remember exactly when it was, but within sort of three or four months, they came back and said, oh, look, <laughs> we've changed our minds, which was quite amazing. And this was not the result of, um, you know, a huge uh, obsessive fan base uh, s- you know, sending umbrellas to the studio or something. No. no. Um, I, I would love to know, you know, a bit more about the decisions that went into to keeping it going. Well, you know, it probably comes down to them saying, you know, we had 1.5 million viewers or something, and they were like, well, that's not enough to keep going, so let's get rid of it. Saw the incoming stuff for that year and went, none of this is that yeah. great. Let's put the killing back on. <laughs> 
well, all right, easy enough. We got a team. We're ready to go. Um, it was a bit of a shock to everyone, to be honest. I know that um, production was sort of caught off guard with it. And they're like, oh, really? Okay. Uh, a lot of people have sort of gone off and got other jobs and stuff. So it uh, it's a bit of a shock. But, hey, I, th- I thought they did great with the third season, actually. I liked it. Yeah. And so the third season picks up with a new case. So we've... we've find out at the end of the second season that the Larson storyline is is uh, resolved as far as the investigation goes and then we pick up again uh I'm not sure it's a number of months or a year later, basically, with the same um, the same made characters in Holder and Linden, uh, but with a new case. Uh and yeah, I look I thoroughly enjoyed it. This is when I thought, yes please, this could this series could go on for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, um, I love the, the they had the street kids. That was the whole sort of oh. story arc was the street kids and the kids that were just surviving and and uh, some of them were going missing and so the, the investigation sort of picks up there. Just wonderful characters, great, exciting, different, unique, fresh, fresh, fresh characters. Oh, uh, and it was just great. the way they created that whole, uh, you know, built that world of these kids who are, you know, the the. Continuum from some of them are obviously, you know, still living at home with their their parents. Some of them are actually living on the street or in squats. Um, there's a range of ages. Uh, it really felt authentic in in terms of you could see these were not your sort of, you know, law and order type street urchins. You know, you could really got a sense of how these people had ended up um, in the places they had and and being you know, vulnerable in this case to some horrible things that were going on. And and the young actors that they had um, playing these, and uh, one of our favourites was uh, one of the main uh, um, characters was Bullet, um, Bex Taylor-Klaus, who she was just really amazing. Yeah, she was cool. I liked it because you know our friend Adam Williams. Yes. His nickname has been the Bullet for the last 20 years. (laughs) So when I there's a character named Bullet, it just made me think of that, and it, it makes me smile every time I think of it. Um, yeah, and and she was great. I mean, you know, just so fresh, so different than anything else you've seen, and I just love it. I want more of that. Yes, it uh, and the intro. Now, do, do you sorry to interrupt you? Do you do you think that's actor choice or is that writing choice or a bit of both? Do you think? Look, oh, I mean, I think as. I think as with any good TV, it, it, it really is when that collaboration, you know, is the perfect storm. Um, I think right. there was some really good writing that meant that these weren't just, as I said, cardboard cut, cut out, you know, or let's have some street urchins. They were, it was a believable world and, and, and a look at a, a, a part of this society that, that made sense, certainly made sense to me about how these, you know, people and young people became vulnerable. It was some fantastic casting, and then having cast these people, there were the amazing performances. I mean, Bex Taylor-Klaus's Bullet um, really just, you know, she she inhabits this character, and you believe, you know, she's this classic young person who's, um, uh, you know, got a lot of bravado but is, is really quite vulnerable, um, is trying to find a place you know, where she can be 
safe um and sometimes that's in a place that you and i might think is really unsafe uh, with some of the people she hangs out with and the fact that then you get these moments you know like anytime any of these people like you know walk into a police station or something you think oh my god that you know that's how everyone else sees them no no one's going to pay attention to them uh yet we've known enough about them to know who's trustworthy and know you know how frustrating it is when one of her friends goes goes missing um a woman that she young woman that she's uh bullet's got a a huge crush on um goes missing but no one will pay any attention to her and that that desperation of of and her powerlessness to do anything is um again the the story here is not just about the killings it's about the impact and the the world that exists around them, and I think that was the strength right. of it. Yeah, the killing has nothing; it is not showcased at all. In fact, you don't see the, any killings. Mm, no, not that I remember. Well, I think no. you, you occasionally see a dead body, but not. This is not a show that that uh, revels in you know showing you the the murder and the torture or whatever. It's or the autopsy or the no. It's it's about the emotional impact it has when people find out that someone's right. dead and that uh, be again wonderful writing that really means that it uh, that it rips you apart. Uh, the other storyline that runs along through this season. Um, features uh, Peter Sarsgaard as uh, an inmate on death row. How did you find that part of the story? You know, I thought he did a great job and it was compelling. And then Aaron Douglas was the guard. Yes, yes. Um, from Battlestar Galactica, played chief on Battlestar. Yeah. Um, I, I thought their whole thing was great. I just didn't know that we needed to see it. And, and to be fair, I mean, I haven't watched it since it was live. Um, I don't remember how it ties into the street urchins, does it? It doesn't really, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, Um, I don't know. I didn't think we really needed it. Did you? No, it felt very parallel to what was going on. And it should have been, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I was was waiting for them to connect it all together. And uh, in a big, well, I I guess I shouldn't say that. That's spoiler, but... (laughs) It was uh, it was fine. I mean, they were both great actors and great everything that they did was fantastic. But it was Just almost sure. like that could have been the next season's story rather than yeah this yeah. season's story. And because he's on in prison the whole time, it's very much in a bubble from the rest of what goes on. So it did feel a bit pasted on in a way. And I don't know, maybe they. The writers, you know, uh, had had that story worked out. They did, you know, they probably thought this was going to be their their last season and um, worked out how it could fit in. I don't know. Um, it was it was still wonderful to watch, and it didn't really didn't detract from the overall. It just felt uh, it often felt I was being pulled out of the story I was in to go to another story rather than it being. A coherent whole. Oh right, yeah, and that connected with Lyndon's backstory, didn't it? Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah it was. It was good, and I think he was up for an, an award for that Sarsgar. Uh, yeah, and there, uh, he has been put up for an Emmy. I don't know. If he had, I don't think. Yeah. He's, don't think he's been nominated yet, but yeah, he's been put up for an Emmy for that. Um, for what that's worth, uh, I mean, it was a great performance, but that wasn't. Where my heart was in this season, so no, me neither. But with... I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> and then, of course, season three finished, and guess what they did? 
I canceled it again. <laughs> what? You gotta be kidding me. Uh, so how is it that we're coming back for season four, Jules? Oh, because um, Netflix. <laughs> Netflix <laughs> rode in on their white horse and uh, said we'll do a fourth season of six episodes. Yeah. Um, so that's going to come out, uh, that's going to drop as Netflix does, uh, on, uh, the beginning of August. So all six episodes will come out then. And look, I have to, I'm, I'm happy. I'm really thrilled to get to see Sarah Linden and Stephen Holder again. I don't really care what they do. They can go out buying sweaters together. Um, that yeah. would be fine by me. So, uh, whatever, whatever they do, I suspect it's not going to be some, It'll, it will be another murder mystery. I don't think it's going to be any... It's not the sort of show where there's going to be a big climax in terms of these characters because it's not that sort of show, you know, and they're certainly not going to, you know, hook up or, you know, that's not where the what the show is about. Um, um, which I love, by the way. I, I absolutely love that there's no romantic inclinations between them at all. No, and... and and even the friendship that develops takes a long time, and I liked that as well. They don't mm-hmm. trust each other on and off. Um, they give each other the shits a lot. <laughs> They're not mm-hmm. totally entwined in each other's lives. You know, they both have uh, other part. You know, they both have romantic partners at various times, uh, particularly in the third season. Uh, in fact, Holder hooks up with Jewel State, who plays right. the. A DA or a lawyer? Is she a lawyer? DA, uh, just, yeah, yeah, DA, like DA, yeah. Um, and I liked that about it. And and of course, you know, um, Lyndon has her has her son, and she does up with someone. And again, <laughs> just to harp on it, they are really well rounded characters in that unlike most detective shows where you only see them being detectives and usually they've got a broken home life that you know you don't see anything about um it it's the detail that goes into rounding out uh these characters that that make them really amazing so um we both now, loved remember, the killing. <laughs> we loved it, but I remember both of us bitching about the ending of the third season together. Yes, we can't. We can't talk a lot about that without giving spoilers away. Can you say something? You think? I just thought it was all very sudden and a, a little bit forced at the end, personally. But yes, uh, so the 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 mystery that's been un the the. Pre- the murderer turns out to be someone that's a little on the nose, I think, <laughs> if, you yeah. like, if, you, if you like. It's a little bit like, really? Mm-hmm. It's that person? Uh, I would have rather have it unresolved than... And, and there's yes. some really big, um, you know, oh, look, he's walking around with a sign around his neck suddenly saying, I'm the killer. <laughs> yes, and then, it, and then everybody focuses on that and... Then all of a sudden somebody gets killed and they're, oh, he's not the killer. Yes, there's, and I think both you and I hate that uh, trope of when you, your heroes or at least your your protagonists suddenly become really stupid. Like, yeah. you know, we've spent three seasons building these people up to be thoughtful and people who never accept the obvious and then suddenly they all do. And that's... Yeah. That was, you know, again, I don't know what went on behind the scenes, but it would have been, it was not in keeping with the tone of the rest of the 
the show that is about things never being easy to be found out or proved yeah. or uh you know even if you think you know who's who's the murderer you may not actually get that evidence or you may get the evidence right. but no one will believe you and this suddenly went, right. it went all law yeah. and order in the last uh, episode yeah but still worth watching absolutely i didn't it didn't ruin the season for me whatsoever it was just kind of like oh I, I i wish they could have taken care of that a little bit better yeah personally um i i don't i don't know if you go back and watch season 3 again knowing what you know does it change how you're viewing it? I don't know. Maybe that's an exercise. But. Yeah. That, uh, well, I mean, I have been wanting to go back and watch it. Um, Bex Taylor-Klaus, who played Bullet that we talked about, has gone on to have a, a supporting role in Arrow. And um, I, I, and how is she in Arrow? Look, she's good. She, she I'm not going to say it's a similar role, but she does play a sort of a street-wise young woman who's comes under the tutelage of the Black Canary. Um hasn't been a huge role, but it's been steady throughout the season, and she does well. It's certainly not, you know, compared to the 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 richness of the character of Bullet. It, it's certainly not the um, not that same sort of thing. But um, yeah, look, she's really good, and I certainly think she's an actor to you know to watch as time goes on because she's excellent. Um, but I would go back and watch season three just just for that aspect of it. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and. Um, Sarah's jumpers. <laughs> yeah, they're really nice, aren't they? And the rain. Uh, and the and she's so tiny. You know, she's just tiny. Is she? Mirel, she's yeah. just like a, a real, like five foot tall. She's real tiny. Yeah, really nice lady. Actually, I met her only a couple times. Said hello, but she's very, very sweet, as you would expect. I would. Well, I would hope so because she's yeah. amazing. Um, she had previously been in god i'm going to forget the name of it the show about the um uh polyamorous family uh slash oh, big love big love so that's where i first saw her um and i'm surprised post the killing that she hasn't you know she was in utterly wasted in world war z and she popped up in a really small role in a movie I've just watched called Devil's Knot, which is based on the the Memphis West case. Hmm. You know about that? Anyway. Nope. Um about the yeah, the Memphis the West Memphis three. She was in a small role in that movie, which was made by Adam McGuyan, who's an amazing filmmaker. But, she, yeah, I'm just surprised I haven't seen her in more things. Joel Kinnaman, of course, went on to star in the remake of Robocop, and the less we say about that, probably the better, even though he was quite, seen quite good in it. Uh, yeah, don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I hope they both go on to to bigger and better things, but we have the last season and I'm sure we'll come back on this podcast and uh, talk about our reactions to the Netflix season four of The Killing. Um, Oh, yes. And let's just see if it pops up. (laughs) Is it dead or not dead? You know, the murder mystery here is um, as much about the actual show itself. Can It's all about the executives trying to kill it. That will be the next season. (laughs) Okay, come back as another season of Entourage. Um, Someone needs to do yes, Entourage about but about TV shows. Um, Anyway, on to our next. Speaking of TV shows, speaking of TV shows, what's our next show? You, what? How about you uh, introduce it? I'll get another beer. (laughs) That's not fair. It's only eleven o'clock in the morning here. I've got coffee. Okay, so the next show is The Red Road. 
thought you understood just out of my way. Tell me I'm crazy. Tell me I imagined the whole thing. Pay attention now, Mike. I want you to live. You went away, and everything went... The Red Road, all new Thursday at nine, only on Sundance TV. And I'm really surprised that more people haven't heard about this or uh, aren't talking about this, uh, because it does star, as I mentioned, soon-to-be Aquaman Jason Momoa, uh, who is a fan favourite. Now, The Red Road does screen on Sundance TV, which is. Uh, small cable network which has started doing original content. It's first being a show called Rectify, which was about a guy who'd been released from prison after 25 years and 25 years, 20 years, um, and got really good critical acclaim. Um, and The Red Road's their second series. So The Red Road, uh, which is eight, epi- six episodes, Six episodes. Six. Is it six? six? Only ep- six? Wow. Only six episodes. So um, it's set in uh, it's upstate New York. New, it's New Jersey, Jersey, actually. New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, one of those little yeah. places up there. Uh, a little. <laughs> <laughs> set, in, um, set in a small town, which is, is pretty divided amongst the white population and the Native American population in the in the town who are obviously uh, a lot poorer. Um, Jason Momoa plays a guy, Philip Copas, who comes back to town. Uh, I love the fact that the, you know the show starts off and you don't know anything about him, why he's back, who is he, what what his story is, except anyone who's seen Jason in anything knows this guy has a presence. Um, he's a huge guy. And he has this, um, you know, he's one of those actors that, you know, just fills the screen both uh, emotionally and, and uh, literally when, when he's in something because you can't ignore him. <laughs> yeah. um, and so he comes back to this this small town. He's obviously got a bit of a dark past and his story immediately uh, intersects with that of the local police officer, Harold Jensen, played by... Oh, we haven't been doing our Count the Canadian and Count the Australians. Right. Everyone in everyone in The Killing was Canadian. Uh, <laughs> well, except for the main, except the main for the, cast. Except for the leads. <laughs> um, and the... The lead here, Jason Momoa, obviously is Hawaiian, uh, but Harold Jensen is played by New Zealand slash Australian Martin Henderson, who you won't know from anything unless you're New Zealander <laughs> or Australian, except he um, played opposite Naomi Watts in The Ring. Um, so you may remember him from that. Uh, he plays... Does a, he's a, does a great job with the accent, doesn't he? Um. I don't know that hiding I. It. I don't know. Oh, with hiding it. Well, see, I never think know if I can judge these things because yeah, that's the, true. Yeah. I'm never sure if I can pick it up. I I don't know what the accents are meant to be like in this this part of the world. Uh, actually, if it, now I think about it, they probably all sound a little bit too. Um, you know, Californian, not Californian, but sort of that neutral. American accent that yes. we get on a yeah. lot of shows. American, I would yeah. actually expect there to be uh, a more discernible, identifiable local 
uh, regional accent for these people. Uh, possibly. I, I mean, I, I, they're not trying to play New Jersey. They're not mobsters or anything. No. So, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I'm fine with the way it is. It it's works good. Um, <laughs> so, again... This is... I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> thank, thank you, Canadian person. <laughs> no problem. Um so again, this this is about two two men whose stories intersect. It is very dour, very dark, and very slow. What did you think of it, Ryan? Well, I was the one that recommended this because I came across a, a posting somewhere that said the Red Road, and I looked and it said Jason Momoa. It talked about the plot of him returning to his the Indian reservation where he grew up after being coming out of prison. So no, that sounds decent. And I watched the first episodes. I'm like, we got to talk about this because <laughs> this is not being talked about enough. It opens with um, native American dancing around a fire um, and kids playing bows and arrows. They have face paint on and uh, it Jason, it just starts with Jason Momoa walking up to them, looking at the kids and said, what's that on your face? And they're like paint. He's like, why you think you're Indians? Yes. You're not Indians. And then walks away yes. and takes the sticks out of the kids. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, very freely using the word Indian, which is fairly taboo at this point. Um, you know, uh, Native American or in Canada, it's First Nations uh, or Aboriginal even. Uh, but Indian word isn't used. Okay. Especially in, in media type situations uh, like this. So it's a bit shocking to to hear that. Uh, like the older folk, of course, would still say the non politically correct, but uh, native is is sort of the go to. Which was interesting because any of the interviews I saw with the filmmakers who who made the show, they would refer to the Native American people. But in the show, more often than not, it's Indian, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and look, it's I I, I did a little bit of of reading because it was interesting. There's this thread running through that this is not um, a federally recognised um, community or tribe. So, and I, you know, that's still an area I don't, as an Australian, don't understand a lot about why that is, but you certainly get this sense of a a community struggling both with its own identity. Uh, so there's obviously, there's people like uh, Jason's character, Philip Coppers, who, who actually, you know, rejects the fact that they are, um, you know, they are a tribe at all and they're obviously struggling with the federal government to get recognition for for their for their status and um, dealing with the fact that they're, you know, generally living in poverty and the racism uh, around them. So that's a, and it's interesting because that's not the focus of, it, it's the world and if you talk about world building, it's, and I was desperate to find out more about it, but at the same time, I really like the fact that that just sort of bubbles along through it. It's mm-hmm, not. Mm-hmm. It's not. We are making the, um, you know, show about these Native American issues, but that is the world that we're operating in. And obviously, there's, uh, you know, certainly uh, in Australia, you know, very few shows. Um, you know that feature Indigenous Australians. Although we actually now have a, uh, a a TV network which is all Indigenous programming, which is fantastic. Mm. Um, but certainly on the major networks, you you know very see very rarely see an Aboriginal face. That's that's something different in Canada. Yeah. Um, 
uh, First Nations Canadian people are are I mean especially now are more included in in television programming. So anything like Arctic Air, for instance, um, there's always a certain contingence that is especially that because it's up north uh, with Inuit people. Um, it's always included it. And if you go back through the history, like the Baywatch, or um, you know, on the West Coast, if you go to Da Vinci's Inquest, or these sorts of things, um, intelligence. There's always sort of a uh, an area there that is always dealing with Aboriginal issues or First Nations issues. Um, and you see a again, lot. There's, yeah, you see a lot more First Nation actors just generally on Canadian. Sure. And and and, sure, yeah. and luckily, so with the number of U.S. Productions filled in Vancouver. It's interesting how many of them have then had, and again the numbers are still really small. But a number of them have at least then had entrees into being in US shows, purely by dint of them being filmed in Vancouver. It's funny you say that because I, thinking about the show and knowing that we're going to talk about it, um, I think Jason Momoa is awesome. I think he is a steaming pile of sex that walks around <laughs> all the time. As a straight dude, he is fucking hot. Look, as a lesbian, I agree with you. <laughs> I had look honestly, this man. You know, I think Momoa sexual is an is an orientation all of its own. Uh, that's right. Yes. He embodies something that's at the at the same time sort of this barely leashed violent masculinity at the same time as you do just want to um, give him a big old cuddle and a cup of tea. I mean, it's it's right. a really there's a tension there that, uh, and you know, the guy's hot. I mean, that's, yeah. uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly own up to that. Anyway, what were you going to say? Yeah, you and me both. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you imagine? Uh, and and this is sort of a dream casting situation here. But can you imagine if you take Jason Momoa out, and you put uh, Patrick Gallagher in? Do you know Patrick Gallagher? Oh yes, yes. Uh, he's he's a native uh, guy. Uh, he was in what? What has he been in? He's been in intelligence. He was in that, uh, but he was also um, what was that show that Ty did? That pilot. Oh, um, but but but, oh god. Uh, uh, Borealis. Borealis, yeah. And people if will know. Anybody people will know that. Patrick Gallagher because he's got. He's got a very lived-in face, um, yeah. but he's been in. He's, he's also been in a number of um, of big movies as well. He, I think, he had a little role in True Blood. Um, yeah. and and he's a big, big guy, big round face. He's an, a native actor. Um, he, he's a great actor. I mean, he's great. But I could really see him playing Philip Copus, and I, I, I wonder if if they ever thought of him in that role. I suppose he's older. Uh, that that it, would be the thing. Maybe, yeah, that's true, right? Because he needs to be the same age as uh, Harold Jensen and Gene Jensen, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, if, if you took Jason Momoa out, because <laughs> there's something about Momoa who, like we said, is too sexy. Is he too sexy to be frightening? Is he too sexy to be a threat? Oh, God, no. No, no, because I get you that. You don't think so? No, I get some of that Idris Elba vibe off him. Um, and, and, and another person who I think. You know, is a sexuality all unto breaks down barriers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, there's that. There's something about both of them that there's a stillness in their acting that you get this sense of. They come for me. He can. He comes across as dangerous and violent precisely because he doesn't go around smashing shit all the time. It, it, it's the threat of it, and the fact that you just have to look at him. Um, 
you know, he's the sort of dude that if, you know, he walked into a bar, everyone would be backs to the wall because he wouldn't have to say anything or do anything. He's a big guy who who could take out most people. So the only thing is that, yeah, he is also very beautiful. <laughs> but in a rugged sense, not not, not, no, not no, in, no. A, in a pretty boy sense by any means, oh, but no. in a manly man way, absolutely. Yes. So, um, so you don't think you, you don't think he's too beautiful to be frightening? Oh God, no. Okay. No. Do you? A little. I I, I did think that a little. I thought he was too beautiful to be coming out of prison or, uh, you know, being a criminal, but. Meh, it's fine. I mean, I think he's done a great role. By the way, when did he learn to act? Holy shit. <laughs> right? Like, he's done a really good job. Well, um, I, and I when, think that's... playing Ronan Dex, I don't think he had that kind of a range. No, and even with the, uh, his Game of Thrones role. Called Drago, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of glowering and um, naked with body paint, but he didn't have a, a huge amount to do in terms of, well... You didn't get to see a range of acting from him, right. but no, I, he wasn't articulating too much. <laughs> no, there's a lot of grunting. Um, yeah. One thing, just going back to what you were saying about, uh, you know, believing that he's capable of violence and he's just come out of prison. I think this was one of my. It's not quite at the level of frustration, but it's and it's to do with the style of the show. I wanted to know more about his past and I wanted to know more about what had happened since he'd left and, and why, you know, being in prison. And, and obviously he's, he's you know, he's become entrenched in, in you know, a criminal underworld. Um, but because of the style of show it is, no one does a big exposition on, you know, that he doesn't sit down with his mum around the kitchen table and fill us in on all that. So... No. Which I like, but at the same yeah. time, it leaves you to have to fill in those gaps yourself and fill them in through his acting and through how he is presented now. But it also lets you fill it in through rumour and speculation yeah. of third parties, which I find is is interesting as well. Yes. And, 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 People saying, I heard he did this or I heard he did that sort of thing. And that's that's the nice thing about this show is you get to discover him you have no idea when he turns up. Is he the hero? Is he the hard done by um, guy who had to leave because of something that wasn't his fault? Is he the victim of racism, or has he always been a thug? And and it doesn't tell you what to think about those things. It gives you all these little snippets. And so again, to talk about being uncomfortable as an audience person, you go from thinking, you know, that in the very first couple of scenes we meet him, and, and oh, Spoiler alert, but not really. You know, second second or third scene he's in, we find out he knows about a murder that's happened locally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's not angsting over whether to tell the police or not. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And so suddenly you've started off thinking, you know, I'm thinking all this, you know, it's Jason and he's pretty and we're going to, he's going to be our guy. And then you're like, hang on, he's, he's a bad dude. Mm -hmm. Um. And I like that discomfort as a viewer that I'm not being told how how to relate to him. Um, it makes it more challenging watching it, and it's the same with Harold Jensen, um, who play uh, who's a cop character, and his wife. Again, you you flip back and forth. Or, oh yes, he's going to be the cop who's 
is he good? Is he bad? Is he? <laughs> yeah. Do I like what he do, he's doing? He's an asshole one minute and then he's not. And oh, um, is he making the right decision? Is he hanging people out to dry? Is he setting someone up? It, it, it takes a while to unfold. Yeah, and I I do like people's intentions. Yeah, I like you know if we're talking about this sort of uh, genre of television when. We come to these points where it's people are making decisions because they have to make a decision, and the choice is not good and bad or right and wrong. It's fucked or less fucked, or <laughs> you know. Yeah. And they're the sort of decisions we all get faced with. You know, it's very, you know, it's not a hard decision in a way if they're black and white. These are decisions where you don't know, and you don't know how they're going to play out. Uh, the, the consequences of the decisions are often not clear. Or you have to make a decision in a, in a split second without having time to think through all the consequences. And, uh, you know, I think that's what makes these sort of shows intriguing is seeing people faced with that and, and, and faced with your, prior, you know, are your priorities your relationship or your job or yourself? And... Did you find, though, it is very slow in terms of plot development and character development? It's a slow boil, for sure. I mean, for six episodes, it takes its time, which I really like. There's nothing worse than being forced, you know, force-feeding you information to get you to where the writers think it should end. Yeah, um, it felt to me almost like six episodes, though, that was meant to be the first six episodes of something longer, because although it does come to some climax in in the last season and holy shit does it come to some climax um the first five episodes felt like what i'd expect in season one of a longer series even a a 13 episode series and i'm interested in that intent behind it because yeah it sort of feels like we're getting to know these characters we're getting to know this community and the backstory and then it's over (laughs) which i'm not i'm not complaining about but it's a different type of storytelling than you normally would expect in um uh, something that's you know six or eight episodes you expect it to move or have a bit more in it and it's not that's not necessarily a complaint no, but there was. A, did you pick up on the talk about the toxic waste dumping? Yes. And the sludge. Yes, because the poor dog in the first episode gets it on its paw, and I was really upset. Oh, really? <laughs> See, I don't remember that. Um, the, the things you remember. I, I, there's a beautiful bloodhound, and when they're out looking for the 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 young guy, young white guy right. who's gone missing, the dog gets covered in this toxic sludge. Oh, okay. I, I didn't pick up on that. Um, I think that was supposed to be a much bigger plot point than it turned out to be. Um, and, and there was a much bigger, like, there was a cover-up, remember? And yeah. He's like, yeah, those don't, those weren't here and those don't exist. So I think there was a much bigger, and how that affected the, the band and um, their community and people selling out. And I think there was a much bigger that they didn't really go down that avenue. Yeah, that's, I'm interested, you know, maybe... Because it has been renewed for another season, so maybe that will be something that you know becomes the more major story thread in the second season. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Um, so uh, excited! Did you like it? Yes, yes, I did. Oh, good. Yes, I, I, good. I did like it. I, uh, and I've said this before. I love shows that have a strong sense of place uh, that take me somewhere. I don't. I don't know about, and that doesn't for me. That doesn't really matter whether it's a um, an alien planet or a community that I don't know about. Um, 
and it drew me into that. I thought the performances were were uniformly really, really good. Uh, a little bit. How did you feel about Martin Henderson, who plays Jensen, the main um, the main um, cop? I was a little on the I, fence with him. Yeah, I was a little hot and cold with him. He he was fine. He was fine. Um, what do you think of the wife? His hot wife and his two hot daughters. <laughs> A lot of hot... They're beautiful girls, and they, they really looked alike. Like, I could buy that they're mother yeah, and daughter. a lot of hot ginger cool. action going yeah. on, uh, which yeah. makes Ryan and I both happy. Uh, look, I thought she yeah. was good, and, and, and again, she, she has a, a quite a difficult role to play, uh, and certainly yeah. not a sympathetic one, but I really liked where that, where that went. Uh, again, in six episodes... I could say I wanted to know a bit more about her journey and and you do by the end have a sense of how she got where she's going and there's a, a sort of a through line about her relationship with her, her twin dead twin brother. Um but yeah, I loved all that. I thought the daughter uh and the um the the Native American guy junior that she's having a relationship with, I loved them together actually and I mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, teenage love stories not always my favourite, but I loved their <laughs> She did a great job of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Believably teenager uh, in uh-huh. its intensity uh, and its on and off againness. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I thought that was really well done. And and I liked the, the rest of the police stuff, actually. Uh, again, you don't get a lot of it, but you get all these different layers of local politics and who's allied with who and the, you know, other agencies coming in. Again, very good writing to get through all that with no big exposition dumps anywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would definitely keep watching this, and I will keep watching it on the next season. I, I'm interested to see where they go. I think there's a lot of really talented people that are working on this. And, you know, I don't know if it's because it's a Sundance TV production. It, 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 you seem to see the higher quality shows being on the smaller networks. Would you agree? Uh well, yes, and I think partly in that, uh, you know, as we've talked about, it's opened up different models for, you know, the ability to have a six-episode season. So in a way, this is almost like an extend, you know, it's you can look at it as a mini, a long mini-series. A mini-series, um, yeah. Or it's a very long pilot. You know, it's, it's, it's nice that there's that freedom to do this, and I would much rather this show exists than probably half the things I've heard pilots forementioned on the major networks coming up in fall. So, um, and definitely, and, you know, again, come back to the fact that there's, interestingly, on the killing, there's a a sub, no, it's not a subplot, it's part of the major plot in the first couple of seasons is about uh, involvement with a Native American casino being built. And, you know, these stories of whatever aspect of certainly Native American life in America, in the US, don't get airtime. Um, so that in itself, I think, is a good thing. And I think uh, in a show like The Red Road is is fascinating in that it is, it's dealing with a lot of complexity around identity in both a, a personal community sense, but also in the legal sense of the word uh, as well. Again, without being didactic about you know the whole thing. It's it's part of the world we're drawn into. That's part of what's influencing these characters. Um, and great, you know, great to see there's some uh, indigenous actors there getting, you know, getting a role. I should mention um, Lisa Bonet turns up as uh, well, it doesn't turn up. She's the lawyer for the community. Um, 
who's of course married to Jason Momoa. So there you go. What do you think of that? What? Of her showing up oh, at her performance. Oh, the, the, her what role. they thought of them got getting married. <laughs> yeah, you're very jealous. <laughs> um, again, I mean, I was more interested that that was obviously part of a subplot that ticks away but doesn't become a major plot. So yeah, what did you think, Ryan? Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm not crazy about her performance you know she was okay it seemed a bit heavy-handed to me a little forced but whatever doesn't matter maybe next season you'll see more of her um we'll we'll see it it was fine (laughs) (laughs) i don't have an opinion i asked your opinion but i don't have my own you're just you're just jealous that she got jason before you that's right she hands off bitch (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so there'll be another season of that and um i will certainly look forward to it as well um, I will too. And um, I'm not sure. Uh, if, if just we might. I don't think either of us have you watched Rectified, the other Sundance. <sighs> no, I saw a few clips of it, and it looked extremely boring. It's like it's really slow. Um, I I know people who've watched it all who really enjoyed it, and so I'd like to go back in and um and give it another go after having watched this. I do think. And this is the interesting thing in TV at the moment. You you almost have to readjust, do some internal readjustment going into a show like this, where, or even the killing, as I said before, where you're not getting a payoff every forty four minutes. Uh, right. It's not, uh, or, or you're not getting a, a serialized show that's throwing lots of plot or or heaps of character development at you. These are shows that are telling a story in a lot slower way, more the sort of pace that. Um, you know that we saw again. You know to mention, say, True Detective, uh, even Fargo to some extent, although that has certainly has more plot in it and character. Um, but you, yeah, I think I'll I'll go back and have a look at Rectify now because I heard good things about it, and I think uh, you sometimes need to readjust your expectations of how that story will be told to to enjoy it, and not go in thinking, oh, why haven't I had five hundred things happen before the first ad break? Yes. Um, a couple other people in the show that people might be happy to see. Tom Sizemore plays uh, Copus's dad. Oh, God, yes. Uh, and then... <laughs> and um, Mike Farrell, as the exact opposite, plays uh, his wife's father. Yes. Um, and both uh, fantastic character actors, of course, yeah. and, and yeah. really add weight and depth to... Uh, you know, to this show. And again, just amazing performances, great writing and fantastic for a, a series like this to um, get a breath of air. Bit surprising, got 7.2 out of 10. I, I would have rated it a bit higher than that myself, but... Uh, I think mm-hmm. these shows are divisive in terms of, for one, you know, for the person who will see, who will enjoy the slowness and the... Uh, measured development of it other people will find that boring and you know i think that's that's personal taste uh you know some people will find the lack of exposition uh lazy writing because they don't know enough about what's going on and they might say well i don't know this character so uh you know and i did feel initially with jason i was quite found it quite difficult to connect to where they were going with him again until i sort of 
let the story go on and, and find out where they were going. But I can imagine other people thinking, well, I don't know who this dude is. I don't get enough of his point of view or his motivations around what's going on. Um, and that's interesting. It makes for interesting television. You don't have to yeah. like it, but I think it's uh, that's why it's not the sort of... And it's not as showy. Uh, if you compare it to something like True Detective, um, it's a lot more muted than that. I mean, True Detective had big scenery chewing monologues in it. It was in a way very in its own way quite flashy. Um flashy, sorry that was. Um <laughs> not, not flashy. No or fleshy. Uh, yeah. so yes, I, I think uh, but we are it is an interesting time in T V where this sort of milieu is or genre is um becoming certainly a lot more popular to produce. Oh well, absolutely, and and I'm really grateful that we're getting to see this great stuff. You wouldn't have seen this on NBC five years ago. You wouldn't see this on CBS this year. Um, <laughs> you would and, never, you would it, never seen this on CBS. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's great that we have this opportunity. And uh, would you recommend it, Jules? Yes, yes, and right. I'm very much surprised that uh, uh, the Jason Momoa. Uh, huge fan club out there hasn't glommed onto this really, really quickly. Um, it's interesting how people will uh, yeah, have a favourite actor uh, but then not watch them in something. Uh, that, and as you said, particularly because this is such a revelation about his acting. Uh, yeah, he's done a, a really fantastic job, in my opinion. Um, I'm excited to see more of Philip Copas next year. Um, <laughs> And speaking of coming up, what will we be talking about next week? Um, next week we'll be talking about two... Actually, I'm not sure. Maybe we'll split it up into two episodes next week. Ooh. What do you think of that, Jules? I don't know. Well, what's, we're talking about comedy next week. Yes, we are. And we're talking about half-hour comedies, 30-minute yes. uh, comedies. So we'll be talking about Louis, um, the FX network program starring Louis C.K., We'll be talking about Portlandia. <laughs> we'll be talking about Put a bird a on it. F <laughs> Sorry. an FXX series called The League. Yes. And we'll be talking about a Comedy Central series called Broad City. So, so there's a whole lot of comedy to be talked about. I think we might have to have two episodes next week. What do you think? Oh, I think we might. There's, that, there's a hell of a lot of laughs to talk about there. And uh, really contrasting bits of... Uh, forms of comedy too and uh i don't think i neither ryan or i are fans of the traditional sitcom uh, and these shows all show what you can do when you break away from that uh sitcom format excited to talk about them so yeah. maybe a du double episodes uh of us next week talking about funny things and getting out of the rain and the misery but that's coming up next week. This week, we're all out of time. So if you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends. If you would like to watch the shows that we suggested today, you can watch The Killing on Netflix, or you can go to iTunes for both of them. The Killing's on sale for $25.99, and The Red Road is $13.99 <gasps> for the whole season. That's a bargain. And Jason... It's a bargain. Throw in there, you do get nipple action from Jason as well. So, you know, that's right. don't discount... So that, that, that pays for itself. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to buy those head over to our website and click on the link and uh, for TV Chinwag my name is Ryan my name is Jules have a good week thanks everybody bye